Discover Banglo Rock, the podcast exploring the history, production and people behind the world of Bengali rock music by following the journey of musician, academic and your host, Joshua Douglas. Hey, I'm Joshua Douglas and welcome to the very first installment of my short podcast series on Bangla Rock. So we're at the beginning, so that's where we should probably start. So in this episode, I'm going to really briefly cover what exactly Bangla Rock is. So this is the who, what and where's of Bangla Rock, as well as talk about what kind of music it was influenced by with some socio-cultural commentary, which can at times be really critical to understanding the setting and reasoning behind this kind of music um, becoming a thing. But in doing so, we get to talk about and listen to the music of one of my most favourite Bangla rock bands. And not just because I like them, but because these guys were the very first fully-fledged rock band to come out of the area. And they're called Mohiniya Garagli from the city of Kolkata, who came about in around 1975. Now, anyone that's into Bangla rock music or even knows even a smudge of information on what this, this style of music is, they will come across this group. And that's because despite them being inactive and dispersed for decades, they're still regarded as some of the most influential pioneers to influence the development of Bengali rock music. But interestingly, they also had a lot of influence on the ways of thinking and ethos uh, within independent music from the same area. So that's pretty much what we got lined up for today's episode. At this point of recording, I'm still unsure whether it's going to be a one-part or two-part episode um, because there are so many interesting things and tons of music that I want to share. But before we jump into anything, I've just got a real quick disclaimer that I want to say. And that's just that I mean no disrespect or offence to any of the artists, music or fans of which feature within our discussion. Um, I view this platform as a means of educating others and building awareness of a much deserving cause. Much of the research is acquired via academic papers, discussions with uh, people in the community, so this could include musicians, um, as well as event organisers, as well as numerous non-academic sources that are available on the internet and all of which will be referenced on the website however just please be forgiven um, if I mispronounce any names or words incorrectly or if perhaps I miss a topic that you felt was really critical to this discussion and if that is the case please just reach out and help steer me in the right direction and you can do that by using the email address that's available on banglabandmusic.co.uk so let's jump into it. So what I've got for you is an almost back of a postcard type description of the who, what and where's of Bangla rock. So without sounding too condescending, um, it's a genre of contemporary music which originates from the subcontinent of Bengal. Uh, but for those that didn't know, Bengal covers two huge geographical areas. The first being West Bengal, which today, of course, is an eastern state of India, located just alongside the Bay of Bengal. And then just across the water, you have Bangladesh, which is a fully independent state of its own. And I can get how this can maybe be a little bit tricky for people, uh, maybe a first glance to get their head around. And I know that um, sometimes, even here in the UK, many people uh, will just completely view them as separate places or countries altogether, which is in part correct, Um but there's a lot of collective there which unites the two areas. And it's really an example of one of them things where the way things are sometimes written in a textbook or even on a map today might not always reflect 
reflect sorry the way things have always been or even how they've been in somebody's lifetime and this part of the world is a great example of that so an explanation for this so when india gained its independence in i believe it was 1947 i think that's right following the end of the british empire particular areas were partitioned off depending on the area's predominant religion so west bengal as we know it today which was uh, occupied predominantly by Hindu people, went to India, whereas Bangladesh uh, was partitioned to a predominantly Muslim state in Pakistan. And I guess in the most basic way of saying it without offending anyone, um, things didn't work out there. And after a ton of fighting, Bangladesh, or East Pakistan as it was then known, very justly gained its own sort of real independence in 1971 and became its own sort of fully founded country. Some of you may actually remember it better um, if I reference the concert for Bangladesh that was organised by George Harrison from the Beatles, um, of course alongside Ravi Shankar, and that took place in 1971 as a means of raising money and showing support um, for victims of the Liberation War. Hopefully that just connects a couple of the dots for some of the Western listeners. Um, Anyways, I'm definitely rambling, so I guess the thing to take away from this is there are grounds in many situations to view these areas independently from one another, and especially when you consider um, there are differences in terms of the political histories and colonial experiences, and, you know, we know that that has a lot of impact on how an area, you know, develops both socially and culturally. And I would encourage everyone to sort of delve into this style of music on a real local level because there is tons to be appreciated there. Um, but sort of broadly speaking, um, the two areas are really connected and they are occupied predominantly by Bengali people who do speak the same language and sort of musically influence one another. Um, probably the best way for me to sort of explain this to someone from the UK or the way I like to view it is in Hull where I'm from we have our own sort of British rock music scene and they do also 90 miles away in Manchester um, and although there are similarities to both areas on a subcultural level we have a real distinct cultural and social differences um, that might impact things like um, the way we write a song or our musical preference, um, maybe the things that have influenced us, that sort of thing. But when we come together and we maybe do a show or we release music online, there's this sort of notion of musically cross-pollinating one another and influencing one another, which all sort of goes towards representing one big category or genre of music being British rock. And that's the way I kind of like to view Bangla rock. There's so much significance on a subcultural level, um, but they're both, broadly speaking, a part of the same genre. And hopefully that makes a little sense. So that's just a little bit of geography for you and a little bit of history as well. So just very briefly before I move on and talk about the actual music itself and what it sounds like, I just wanted to clarify some terminology or different ways that people might describe Bangla rock just in case on your journey of looking up this music you come across these terms and at least you'll know what people are talking about. 
So Bangla rock can commonly be referred to as part of different umbrella-like phrases such as band music, which is really common. And I always hear this being used when I chat to people from Bangladesh about um, different styles of rock music. Um, which means what it says, really, um, music which is performed with a band. So this could be any style of music, but is often associated with rock music. So that's just something to keep in mind. But there's also terms like guitar music. Now, this is a sort of different kind of phrase, and I've never found anything online or within academic papers that, um, that describes this style of music in this particular way. But it is something that when I've talked to people, um, you might hear them hear them use to describe rock um so i opt more to view this uh this is more like a local phrase likely used by maybe elders or non-scene participants to describe rock music so that's just a little bit of terminology for you Okay, so finally, what what does it sound like? So obviously, like any style of music, over time it's going to develop and evolve. So the music from the scene today is naturally going to sound very different to what it did when it first came about in the 1970s. But if I was to try my hand at sort of generally describing the sound of Bangla rock, uh, which is harder than it sounds... um, I would go about it by saying it's influenced heavily by Western classical rock, hard rock and even at times pop rock genres, which are shaped by some modern rock production methods, which are then fused with local musical traditions and different styles of folk music, which gives us this sort of really unique fusion of sounds. But then, of course, there are um, exemptions to this, naturally. Um, One thing you'll always hear is a real sense of creative freedom in terms of stylistic or tonal decisions uh, made within the production of Bangla Rock Records. Um, The way I describe this is the perception of sounds associated with specific genres or styles of music, at least in my experience, don't conform as rigorously as they do in, let's say, Western rock records. For example, a leading artist in a soft rock ballad might, if they feel inspired to do so, they might use a hard rock uh, guitar tone um, and be chugging away in parts. Um, Now that sounds really out there and doesn't really reflect how tastefully it's done. Um, But don't be surprised, you know, if you hear, um, you know, different creative decisions being made regularly that go against the grind of the almost self-acclaimed standard of Western rock production. Um, Just another thing to keep in mind. So let's move on, but in doing so we have to actually look back towards the year 1975 and that's a really big year and a time that many people uh, regard as the start of Bangla Rock or the idea of Bangla Rock and that's because that was the year that Bengal's first rock band formed um, but the group Mohini Garagali's story actually starts slightly earlier than that And what the group experienced in those years prior actually went on to inform a great deal of the group's identity and motives. So let me set the scene for you. So we've already discussed Liberation War for Bangladesh that happened in 71. But the political turbulence throughout the 1960s and early 70s wasn't just limited to Bangladesh. And in the years 1968 through to 1971, there was this huge political movement that was reaching its peak across West Bengal with a lot of prominence in Kolkata. And this was called the Naxalite Movement. 
Now, this consisted of students as well as refugees that had fled partition in Bangladesh and seeked refuge in Kolkata, uh, but it was predominantly youth-based protests and riots that were against uh, the violent police oppression of the city's youth, uh, but more so um, mass unemployment that had resulted from an inherited education system from the colonial period. Now, there is a great paper that talks about um, the education system in a little bit more depth, and that's by somebody called Stefan Doran, who's an academic. Um, and the paper's titled Songs of Life in Kolkata, and I'll link everyone to that somewhere around um, when I publish this podcast. But basically, the way Stefan Doran describes the education system, he says... Um, it facilitated a highly educated elite with a lower status of technical personnel uh, performing subaltern tasks while leaving in ignorance the rest of the population. Now, this resulted in an uprising against, at least in part, that which reflects both figurative and physical reminders of British colonialism. So this led to uh, the destruction of reflective paintings and statues. But thankfully, it's not all doom and gloom, because from the ashes of this uprising emerges a real visionary figure, and his name's Gautam Chatterjee, and on occasion he was fondly referred to as Manik or Monida. Now, I've probably butchered that pronunciation, uh, but this guy was a former Naxalite who looked towards uh, music for an alternative means of political expression. So following 13 months of being incarcerated for his connection to the movement, uh, Gautam Chatterjee founded a band in 1975 alongside some close friends and family that was initially called Subtashi, but shortly after they called themselves the name which holds so much weight today, Mohiniya Garagali. So this name was actually inspired by a section within a poem uh, that was written by Jibin Ananda Das. And this section, when translated to English, means Moen's Horses. And you'll see, actually, when you look at any of the artwork uh, for the albums of this group, you'll see a seahorse. And at least my interpretation of this is that this has been used in acts as almost a symbol for what this group stands for. Um, and that makes a little bit more sense um, when you think of what Stefan Doran adds in his paper, uh, Songs of Life in Kolkata. And he derives a meaning that's beyond a literary perspective and adds that Moen's Horses refers to a breakdown with the past. So it kind of feels like that the groups took quite a lot of time and quite deliberately picked this name. So, musically speaking, what did they do and why is it worth talking about? And I guess to answer that question, the first thing we've got to remember is that this band formed at a time when other music that could be deemed popular or that would resonate with a mass audience and gain mass appreciation was really limited to either romantic film songs, the music of Tagore, or other classical and folk genres from the area. Um, and although records of Western popular music were in circulation at the time, and this would include a whole mix of different styles of music, like um, music from The Who, The Beatles, Led Zeppelin, uh, Bob Dylan, as well as uh, a bunch of classical stuff, um, just a really, really popular stuff. And this did resonate with young people. But the actual idea of writing original music in this kind of style just wasn't cool, so nobody was doing it. 
But I have come across a couple of exceptions where I guess you could argue um, that at least in some ways, Western music did influence how some people were creating music. And I'll just give you a couple of quick examples of that. Uh, there's two groups that I've come across. Um, the first is a group called Bangladesh, that are from Bangladesh, that formed in 61. Uh, and there are a couple of sources that note this group as the very first entry of band music to come out of Bengal. But because there is so little information that's written in English out there on this group, it's really hard to say exactly what they did. Um, but I just thought it was worth mentioning anyway. And then example number two, so there's quite quite a bit more on this group. Um, they're from Bangladesh also, the firm... They formed, sorry, in 1963, and they're called Singa Goshti. Um, and they're said to be the first group to ever adopt um, Western musical instruments such as drums, guitar, and grand piano into their performances. And apparently they fused Western orchestral forms with the music of Tagore, as well as all sorts of different popular folk and Bangla film songs just to inject new life into traditional music. But that wasn't quite yet rock, nor was it completely original. But what I guess it does tell us is that there were at least a couple of people scattered around that prior to Mohini Agragli that were trying to experiment with Western music and try and encourage something new. But aside from that, um, it's my understanding that all the other musical activity that was influenced by Western popular music was limited to covers of popular hits that would be sung in English and then performed in bars and music venues uh, within the major cities. So it feels quite uh, conclusive that prior to 1975, Bengal was yet to have a fully-fledged functioning band that performed music with um, like a real distinct regional ownership. But then Mohani Agaragali come along and these guys quite fearlessly go against all that's come before them and they didn't care if they never made any money for it. So instead of going the sort of commercially successful route um, and writing romantic tunes with delicate lyrics or playing covers, they did what true rock legends do and do the exact opposite. So they wrote original songs sung in their own language, Bengali, with a backline of drums, guitars, bass, violin, which is quite interesting, with lead and backing vocals. And they spoke about the struggles of everyday life in Kolkata, which often had um, a sort of social and political agenda to them. Um, I guess the most important thing about their message was they spoke their truth with often painfully honest lyrics with which gave voice to themselves, but also reached out into their communities, um, which just hadn't been done previously. And, but what I found quite interesting about their sound is that they followed Western forms and structures, but sort of the aesthetic of the sound was kind of the furthest thing from just a pastiche of Western popular music, and it was really original, hyper-local, um, and it kind of screamed what it meant to be a person from that place at that time. So their style was sort of semi-officially classed as Bengali improvisational folk rock music, which was influenced by the likes of The Who and Led Zeppelin, as well as The Beatles and Bob Dylan. 
uh, amongst other jazz and blues records, uh, plus a whole bunch of Western classical music, which I thought was quite interesting. But thankfully, from my conversations with the group's drummer, Bishu Chaji, he was able to shine some light for me on sort of where and how the group would consume Western music, especially in those early days, you know, before cassettes and MTV uh, came about and made things a lot more accessible to a mass audience. Uh, anyways, Bishu says that they used to... Um, used to go and get used records from vinyl stores on Free School Street, uh, who'd often acquired vinyls left behind by foreigners who'd visited India. He also mentions that All India Radio B played Western music at night um, and once a week on a Sunday. But then he adds that, um, and this might just explain a little bit on that classical music influence, the Western classical musical influence, um, and he adds that one of uh, one of the other Mohini Agragli members, Abraham, grew up in a place called Oxford Mission in Kolkata, where he learned and played Western classical music. So I could, uh, maybe, you know, his time there, um, he's learned it and then he's passed it on to the other members. Kind of makes sense. But for me, when I'm listening to Mohini Gragli's sound, it's not the Western influence that really shines through for me or even the sound that I feel is the predominant influence. It's actually the local music, um, which they've clearly grown up and, you know, participated in. That, that's coming through in the, in the original music that they're creating. And, yeah, that, that may just be my year jumping to the things, that, you know, that I'd never heard previous. But for me, I, I feel that. That makes Mohini Garagli's sound. And there is someone that, you know, can describe that to you much better than I ever could, and that's the son of the band's leader, Gabu Chatterjee, that's um, within an interview that, that he did online. He speaks about his dad's taste in music and the type of people he was surrounded by when he was coming up with these kinds of ideas. And I'll just read you a little bit of that. Um, he says that his dad had a huge palette of different kinds of music and will always be listening uh, to new forms all the time to gain inspiration. Um, his dad apparently spent a great deal of time with a group of religious singers from the region and they're called The Balls. I can never pronounce that right, um, but that's spelled B-A-U-L-S. Um, and apparently they influenced um, a Gautam Chatterjee quite a lot, which makes a lot of sense because you'll always hear their style of music being described as ball jazz. Um, so yeah, that just connects the dots for me. It's quite helpful. Um but what really resonates with me about what Gabu says about his father, um, and I quote, he says, For my father, a band from India or even Bengal had to sound like it belonged to the country instead of blindly aping the West. Having one's own elements meant a great deal to him. And after reading that and then, you know, sitting down and listening to their music, I'd have to agree. Um... But let's let you make your own mind up. I've been very fortunate I was able to connect with the band's drummer, Bishu Chatterjee, who was able to give us permission to share some of the music today. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to play you the first song of the group's first ever album, or EP. And I say EP because it consisted of four songs. It was recorded at HMV Studios and then released under the record label Gaffney in 1977. Now, the title for the album... 
I can't pronounce because it's written in Bengali and sadly I don't speak Bengali, uh, but they, I've got a translation in English uh, which loosely means anxious feathers and thematic culture. So let's have a listen to that and then we can come back to it and have a chat. So enjoy. So if that was your first time listening to Mohini Gragli's music or listening particularly to their earlier material, it may be maybe a little bit challenging at times to understand the correlation uh, between the group's legacy of being Bengal's first rock band and the aesthetic of the sound that you've just listened to, which at times, if I'm being honest, can um, 
feel more at home with some other popular music genres such as uh, folk and jazz, but also Western classical music as well, or at least it does to the average unknowing Western listener. Um, there is a quote that 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 I read that sort of just connects really nicely to that to that sort of trying to understand that correlation, um, and it's by somebody called. Mohanty, and it's in a paper, an online article that was published in 2016 titled The Birth of Bangla Rock. And I'll just read this little section out for you, and hopefully connect it for you. Um, he says, um, the music is not even technically rock after time. The musicianship may not always be virtuoso class, and the lyrics have the fair share of amateur verbiage uh, but what each of them has is a distinct stamp of individuality the edge to break new ground that is the freedom that defines rock music for me and that is the freedom that Mohini Garagali unleashed some 30 years back sowing the seed for a new musical genre called Bangla Rock um, additionally there are a couple of, of other considerations you might want to make especially from sort of like a production and listening perspective when learning about this record because I guess naturally from the perspective of a western listener anyway it's quite hard not to make comparisons between the recording that you've just listened to and then put that sort of against directly against sort of the western counterpart or other western recordings from the same time um but then there are, as I say there are a couple of things you might you might just want to want to think about and the first being that you know these guys, Mohini and Gragley, they're all from humble upbringings. You know, these guys are, are, are super rich, don't have super high budgets. Um, they, they came from very, very humble upbringings. And the road to the band's first album was steep and even required them to mortgage. Um, I, th- I believe, let me just find it on my notes. Here it is. So um, the violinist slash pianist, um, had to mortgage his own stereo player to be able to afford and finance this recording. Um, and it's also unlikely, another another thing to keep in mind, is it's also unlikely that recording professionals or facilities um, around this time, given that nobody was interested in this style of music, would have had the, um, the resources or experience uh, to be able to produce a rock or folk sound that would be able to sort of satisfy the requirements of Western rock production from that time as well. So just a couple of things to keep in mind. Um, there is a little quote here by Bishu that maybe there's some struggles in terms of, you know, um, maybe not everyone took the, took the band serious in the recording process, um, which may have impacted... Uh, the quality or the sonic quality of the recording itself. Um, And he says that we were not given the opportunities to express ourselves the way we wanted. We wanted equal sounds for all instruments as well as vocals, but engineers at the recording studios were often against that. Uh, There are many times uh, where sound engineers and recording studios would think they had one up on us. We were nobodies at the time. Um, the so-called established uh, Bengali community was still holding on to Tagore songs and a lot of uh, f- 
footage was given to only gifted singers um, or traditional musicians. I think people were afraid to publicly support something different. Um, so, yeah, there are some really audible crackles and hiss from tape, as well as the resolution of the quality and mix balance. Um, it, it does differ in comparison to higher budget recordings of rock and folk music from the West. However, I think the thing to, to grasp is is that this record captures a moment and and kind of captures a time, uh, which is sort of one of the, one of the wonders of of, of pressing record, and it, I think that really adds to the charm, um, aesthetic and it sort of historical significance of this recording. Um, anyways, we should probably call that there uh, just for the moment. Um, although there is so much more to be said about this band, and there's so much more that I've got planned um, and in place, ready to talk about Mohinia Gragali. And today we've we've barely touched the surface on this group, um, cause, but I've been gabbing for half an hour already. Uh, but this is just kind of my introduction to what Bangla Rock is, as well as an introduction into... Um, into who the band Mohania Gragali are. And in future episodes, we'll definitely delve deeper into this group's story. Um, but hopefully this sparked your interest somewhat. Uh, well, thank you so much for listening, and I'll catch you in the next one. All the best. <laughs>